Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Inspiring Brains Podcast. Uh, this episode is episode number 14, and it features part 2 of my uh, two-part conversation with Chris Gaskin. If you want to listen to the first part, you can listen to it. It's now on uh, Spotify, and uh, if you go on to Anchor, you can go and see all the, the nine different platforms it's available on. You can listen to it there. Um, a little bit of a disclaimer, I want to let you know I'm sorry about the audio. Sometimes when I ask the questions on in this particular interview, it's very quiet. So I tried to work with that and make it a little bit louder. I think it's just kind of the way I spoke, but it is what it is. Um, uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, please like and share the Inspiring Brands Facebook page with your friends. And uh, share, the, share, share the podcast with your friends and let them listen to it. And uh, you can go back to listen to any of the previous episodes. Uh, before we get into the rest of the interview, here's another clip from Chris's comedy. And uh, with that said, this one's kind of a longer episode, so I'll get right into it. Um, everybody have a good week, and I'll talk to you for the next one. I'll be releasing another episode probably midweek, around Wednesday or so. But until then, um, enjoy this one, and I'll see you for the next episode. <laughs> I'm small, too. Like, I was at Tim Hortons, and I ordered a uh, Pepsi in a lady's, like, diet. And I was like, do I look like I drink diet, bitch? Look at me. I'm 83 pounds soaking wet with jeans on. I bought these in the kids' section, but they still need a belt that wraps around my fucking back. Diet, I might fucking die, alright? I was like, ladies, if you're six feet, stop looking for guys taller than you. Fuck me and give my kids hope. <laughs> you guys understand, like, they won't date me though because women like guys who are taller than them. And I'm five foot two and not attracted to little people. So my options are like limited at best because tall guys take all of the small chicks. Fuck! Does that piss me off? When I see a tall guy with a small chick, I turn into a black woman singing interracial couple. I fucking snap. Like, I was at a house party, and there was a girl there, five-nothing, gorgeous. I was yelling at my dick like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was like, get down, you know? Get to the chopper, you know? And I'm watching her, and she walks up to her boyfriend. Dude was six foot five, and I lost my fucking mind. And I gave him shit, and he took it. He could have killed me, but he took it. Because I'm adorable. <laughs> hitting me is like hitting a woman. It's socially unacceptable. I have no fear of a guy on top of me. Like, let's see, defend my punches with your wits and your boyishly charm that makes you think that no one's gonna call you on your shit. You bungee jumping off the couch. Small man syndrome. Son of a bitch. Right? But it's never gonna happen. And I know that. So I just walk through the rocks you're like, hey UFC, you drinking that beer? <laughs> the fuck you are. We can't do shit. 
and he's fucking, he's like, dude, what the fuck? He's like 12, man. Fight someone your own age, you pussy. I don't care what he said, you're the adult. Fucking walk away. I have like five priests chasing me everywhere. It's insane. <laughs> I'm Chris Gaskin. Thank you guys very much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think for me, uh, Chris, I, I haven't heard all your stuff, but in terms of for me, what stands out, yeah, like we were talking a little bit about moods and, and how you perform and, and being proud of the, the the way you deliver things and like, uh, for example, one of the things that stands out for me is like. A bit about um, your mom and having a you know kind of a relationship with your mom and those sorts of things. Like okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, like I, I guess because you uh, being like a, a a smaller stature dude, you know, you expect you know the typical like your mom joke kind of, and like you know the audience is all waiting for this like your mom joke, and then I think you really like. You twist the joke, but then, and then you, in, in my opinion, you, you twist it, and then later on, you bring back what everybody was expecting. And that's, I think, for me, in terms of the delivery of that joke, what, what makes it. Because I was like, I just, at first I wanted to see how we were going to deliver it, and then it was like, what, what I was expecting just, like, kind of got flipped on its head, and then, and then I, got, I guess I got what I expected later on, which is just a clever way of, of writing that. So I think that's why I enjoy Thanks. that about yours. Um, so that, but, I mean, that that's a bit that like, I was actually talking uh, with a comic just last night and, and today I ended up sending her, like she's seen me do that bit, but I sent it to her on, on like Google Docs to give her an example of like how I write down my material. And and in that Google Doc, I kind of explained that like the the idea behind that joke is it, it is built around like a series of misdirection, right. uh, but it's also a setup just for a callback later on. Um and, and it's like the I I'm actually it, it's funny because that's that is probably the joke of mine that a lot of people again taking out of context would go like man how could you say that or how yeah. could, how could you get away with saying that and for for a few reasons number one i think it is way funnier than it is offensive and and i think that's as far as any comedian that's doing any sort of absurd or dark material like that like that's kind of, you need to hit funnier than offensive. I've heard people say it needs to be as funny as it is offensive, funnier. It has to be funnier. Uh, I mean, I think you and I have talked privately a little bit about that, you know, in terms of like, cause I've had people make jokes about my disability and uh, sometimes it upsets me, but it, like I, I sure. think more often than not, it, I, I'm really not offended by it, but it, it's, it's when it comes down to like, if somebody's lazy about a joke and just like, you know, like, does he like 
takes the easy road in terms of like just making a, a wise crack about you know how it was funny. That to me isn't as funny as as somebody uh, you know that, that that kind of crafts a story around it or or has a clever way of bringing but, it up. But you know what? Like I don't even think you walk funny. Like the way you walk, <laughs> you look like uh, an Olympic mogul skier. Like that's. People really... have told me I I like when I was going to university and nickname was Tim. Like my, I guess I never realized, but my, I guess I thrust my, or I, you know, my, my hips are a little weird when I walk, but that to me is just the way it's always been for me. Yeah, but, sure. Of um, course. Absolutely. But, it, but it's like, I, I mean, so, so even, I think a lot of that is also context of the relationship. Uh, I, I like to bust balls. That's right. like my verbal hug, you know? Absolutely. And, but, it, but I also, I'm not going to do that if, if I don't like someone yeah. or, or if I respect someone, uh, like I, I would like to establish the fact that, Hey, I'm joking around. Like you're free to fire back. I'm just having fun. And if I ever cross a line, please tell me because yeah. I, you know, I don't want to be an asshole about it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want people to know that I'm, I'm just messing around and like i said i i would never do that if i didn't like someone but like you know i saw someone do that with you where you don't have that relationship with and they call you a prop comic because your crutches yeah and and i literally leaned over to you and went if i had said that we would have all laughed and you started laughing immediately because, <laughs> yeah because you recognized if if you had said something at that table and i just went and said hey prop comic shut your mouth like everyone would have laughed because they all would have realized like we're all just joking around having a good time and there's no actual vitriol behind it. But we've also established, you know, the, this relationship. So there's context behind it. And without that context, you know, it, it could be meant to be funny, but it, it's just going to come across as mean. Um, but I, I have had people that have misunderstood me over the years. Uh, I remember a comic came up to me and, and he told me that he thought I hated him for like three years. And, and I was like, really? Why? And he goes, because you were always like a dick to me. And I was like, dude, I was fucking around with you. Like it was my personality. And, and he, he said it, it wasn't until he was having a conversation with someone and he mentioned like, ah, Gaskin doesn't like me. And they were like, Gaskin was talking about you the other night. Like we were having a conversation and he brought you up and he yeah. said he really likes this joke and he likes what you're doing. And the guy was like, really? And he was like, he's a dick. And he went, and they went, no, that's, that's just how he is. Like if, if he didn't like you, he would not be that way with you. And then he said, it was like three after we were at a show and a comic came up to me that I did not like. And it was all one word answers with that comic. And, and there was no, hey, I'm joking around. Hey, that, it was just, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It, you, so you've been all right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and then like he sits down and I'm like, hey, you bald motherfucker. What's up? Like. There you go. That that puts things into perspective and context too. Yeah. I, I was gonna 
like go, going a little bit back to what you were talking about um, in terms of, and, and I guess everybody's journey through stand-up is different, but because like, I've had some people, you know, uh, or friends that I've spoken with that, that are uh, newer to stand-up, and like I, uh, like I'm just, uh, I haven't had much, like I don't have a website right now. It's something that I'm working on, but like, uh, it's also something that I've had uh, feedback in terms of like, you know, I don't know if, if you should have a website or those kinds of things. And that's why I, kinda, I bring that up because I wanted to talk to you about uh, about the album and the, your your first album there and going into the mindset of your second one. But um, I guess for you, I mean, you've been doing it longer than I have. I guess at the time that you were doing it, if I do my math correctly, you'd be like five or six years in. That's correct. I was five years in. Then, uh, so... What for you um, made you feel like um, I'm ready to record an album, or I'm just I'm happy with what I have? I think I think it's great material, and I think it's at a point where because uh, I, I know like a lot of comics or the general consensus, I guess, is once you record an album, you would have to retire that material. It's not always the case, but that's generally I think why some people do it. Uh, to push yeah. Themselves in writing but what's your thoughts on that I mean like because uh, people have a different uh, journey in stand-up but I'm just wondering like what made you feel like you're ready to record an album at that time and what makes you feel like you're you're ready to, to try to do another one um, soon again I I think there there was a few things um, I I had a few friends asked me when I was going to record my album, uh, like a little bit before I decided to record the first one. So I, I kind of felt like if they thought I was ready for it, then they, and, and I still look back, I still kind of wish I waited a couple extra years and tuned up some parts here and there. I mean, I, I did a couple jokes that I had written like a week and a half before that, mm -hmm. that just went on that album because it's also like the way that I look at an album is it's more of just a snapshot of your rack time. Mm -hmm. um, like nothing's ever really truly finished. Okay. So, and, and I think like the, the angle that I'm kind of moving towards with my next one is not just uh, like an album recording. I think I want to tape a special. And because not a lot of people have seen my act, there are a few bits from my album that I want to reuse for that special. Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to go about doing that again, which you know I've, I've said for the past 20 minutes. But yeah. I, think, I think having a few friends that, that were kind of encouraging me to do it at the time, that they felt that the act was good. And, and then the flip side of I was 26 and I had a lot of jokes about looking young. Um, yeah. You know, I, my, my album was 
42 minutes and I think maybe six or seven of it looking young specifically, which, which is a deep, you know, it's a, it's a chunk. Uh, but I knew like eventually, even though I, I still have a few jokes about looking young, but it's not like I don't look that young anymore. Uh, I still look young. I still have people that like think, oh, he's, he's maybe, he's maybe 19, you know, uh, like people who think that I'm younger than that still I'm 32. Uh, but it's like, I, I knew that those jokes were, were quick to be retired and, mm. and I wanted to, I wanted Just to record in terms that. of like my, my, uh, Physically, I might look different or it won't come across as funny because they know I'm older at that point. Of, of course, of course. And so like those jokes had a shelf life. Right. And, and realistically, I would have gotten away with them until I was about 28. Uh, like especially the looking young stuff. A lot of the other stuff about my stature or whatever, like that, I still do jokes about that because it's what people see yeah. right away. It's one of those things that, like I noticed, I mean, um, you, you probably had more about it when you first started, but like when I when I listen to some of your stuff uh, now and when I saw you perform, it's like one of your first bits is like, yeah, like I'm aware of how young I am. Let's just get that out of the way. And then like moving on to some more, definitely some more like you're talking about building the mood and, and uh, getting more of a context to your material like there's more of a I, I wouldn't even say it's political it's just describing or it's explaining your viewpoints on on certain things and it's not necessarily just continuing talking about what you look like or even maybe not necessarily what you've been through it's just explaining like you said for example how ridiculous some of the things are that you're seeing in the world yeah i and like like i said that's what I'm trying to accomplish is just get my opinion out in a funny way. I'm never trying to change anyone's mind. I'm never like, I, I'm very, think what you want to think, like be yourself. Uh, but here's what I think. And here's how I can, here's what I think. And here's why I think it's funny. Um, and, and I think really, if you look at my act, there is, probably 10 to 15 percent of what you'll see if you watch me do an hour will be about what i look like and then the rest of it is all me and sharing my opinions so um you mentioned it a little bit earlier when we were when we were talking uh and you said uh, you're talking a little bit about your process in terms of how you write I don't know how much you want to go into that, but because um, the process is different for everybody, but is there anything that you can share in terms of um, the thing, like what what gets your brain kickstarted in terms of the writing process, or uh, how the writing pro what the process is like for you? Um, I don't I don't have a writing process. I I can't sit down and write something out mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot of my writing is done in my head 
uh, yep. transferred to on stage, and then written down after the fact. So you get a recording of it, and then you feel like, okay, that recording of it was good. I like the way I delivered that. And then you'll go down, you'll sit down and write out what you said. And, and how you yeah, I, I will transcribe what I said. Um, I do, if I have an idea that I really want to think out and expand upon, like I do try to transcribe it even before I bring it to the stage. I like to refer to it as writing down my comedy, not writing comedy, because I think those are different things. Uh, I'm, I'm very bullish on the fact that we are performing for an audience and that what we do is we're, we're communicating our own ideas and sense of humor. And, and the focus on that is being the communication aspect in that when, when you watch these comics who are like mm -hmm. mathematical geniuses about it, like a Seinfeld, uh, like a Hedberg, like an Attell would be a perfect example of like so little fat on the act, um, yeah. which is, it's, it's really fun to watch, but it's always the personality that's going to drive it no matter what. And, and I, I always try to explain to people that like the, the exact words that you choose yeah. is only about 7% of communication. And, Go ahead. and the vocal tonality of how you say it will equal to about anywhere between uh, 13 and 23% is the vocal tonality and inflections. And then the rest is all body language. Yeah. And I've, I've had arguments with people about this where they say like, well, what about if you're listening to a comedy album? And I go, that person was still performing it in front of an audience. Like it, it's still a visual medium because that's what communication is. It's a visual medium. It's visual first and then the rest kind of follows suit. And, and it's not to say that the words that we choose are not important. It's just less important than how you present, which which is why I get away with the joke about your mom be or, or like, like the joke about my mom is, is the way that I present it is it's full of misdirection. Um, but it's also like, you can tell that I'm joking and I'm taking everyone's point of view that I can in that joke. I'm taking my point of view. I'm taking my mom's point of view. I'm taking the audience's point of view when they react the way that they react to one of the lines. Right. So. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I, I was just going to say, like, to, to finish up, it, it's all about the, the actual uh, presentation of it. I would say probably for me, that's one of the biggest things I've realized. You know, I'm only uh, about four years in, but. Um, definitely for me, like confidence in the uh, delivery of a joke and like even mm -hmm. newer jokes, like convincing the audience or being confident in the way you deliver it is, is half the battle for me or maybe even more because 
Uh, and, and so I think maybe sometimes it's certain things that I, I can't control. Like what, what I realized, even after I've been doing a couple of different performances, is people would come up to me after the show and they will say like, so is your stutter in your act, or like is, is, is what you're doing on stage part of your act? And it may, like, you know, because I'm stuttering or, or, you know, I look a certain way or whatever it is. I think it part of part of it for me comes down to like adrenaline and I'm not able to I just want to get my jokes out uh, in the best way possible and I don't necessarily worry about my facial expression or, or sure. you know, my movements on stage because part of that too I guess would be how much I can control with my body but um, I think but, that's part of it I think it's it's probably also a comfort thing yeah um, I was going to ask you how, like, one of the things I've realized as I've been doing uh, stand-up, uh, like, I've done some longer uh, sets before. Uh, probably, you know, the longest I've probably done is in between that, like, half hour and 45 range. So okay. again, like, I find that, like, uh, the, the, and probably this is me being critical, but, like, the more I do it, the more I do stand up, uh, and the, I guess it ha it has something to do with I think my writing just getting better. But um, I find that I try to fine tune some of my jokes so much to the point where like I've done like a half hour set, and at a certain point, like for example, I did a, I did a set at the Medicine Hat Comedy Festival, and mm -hmm. that was probably you know. 25 minutes maybe close to that half hour and it felt great like there was there was a bit of crowd work in there and it felt but it did feel like there was not too much of me pausing and trying to fill time I feel like but at the same time I feel like since then my material has improved but for some reason I feel like because I'm more critical of of what I feel like is my quote-unquote like best material like I have I feel like sometimes I have less time than I did back then because I know the material itself is better, but I don't necessarily want to stretch my act and have the, you know, have the jokes not be as consistently good throughout. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of that is because I had the exact same thing, and, and I think a lot of comics have that. Uh, I, I think that's realizing where you should be putting your bar and, and just elevating your game as you go along. And then realizing that from the context of where you were at the time, certain aspects of your act were totally acceptable and totally like, you know, well, he's, he's two years in. So, you know, that's a pretty good joke for someone who's two years in. And, and they're doing all right. But then, like, you look at someone who's... And, and that's not to say that, you know, years in is a dip. I'm just using that as an example. Um, but, like, you know, someone who's more experienced, who's, who's self-aware, and self-aware of how they deliver it, and, and self-aware of the reaction that they're getting, they're going to just set their bar or their bar for success higher naturally. Yeah. I think 
probably for me uh, one of the things too that I find really tough is you know I do a lot of my set as anybody would I do a lot of my sets locally and yeah. uh, you know Red Deer is what it is and some comics in terms of like Calgary or Edmonton those sorts of things um, they, they will talk about Red Deer in terms of it being like a, t a very tough room or just they don't like going there because you know <laughs> The, I, I guess they find the crowd weird, and, and first of all, I guess I should I should tell you that you know our main uh, comedy room, our, our, our weekly shows, uh, one of the main ones we do is in the back of a bowling alley, which already makes it weird because you know you hear Barbie Girl in the background, and it's not necessarily a comedy club. But one of the things that really stands out for me, and, and really I I think fluctuates my mood, especially when I'm when I'm performing is because what I've noticed is like the the crowd especially I feel like sometimes they expect the first five minutes of your Netflix special like you know in terms of your set and because yeah. the crowd will sit there with their with their uh, arms crossed just waiting for like you to hit them with this solid joke and I mean they'll they'll laugh or they'll clap like once or twice but what what's weird to me is like um when I first started stand-up, like, I, I started out, I, I, um, it was kind of a, a, an assignment that I had in university where I could write 10 minutes to stand-up. And so the first time I ever performed, I was in Lethbridge, and then in Medicine Hat, uh, even before, and then, like, Red Deer. So it took a while before I even got to Calgary or Edmonton or a technical what you call a comedy club where like there's no screens and no distractions you know people are there just for the comedy and like sure. I um it, it took me a, a while to realize like you know like rolling laughter is a thing <laughs> because uh like in a way performing in Red Deer and having that kind of tough critique in terms of them expecting a really solid joke is great in terms of building your material and making it really strong when you go somewhere like Calgary or Edmonton. But it's also uh, really, for me at least, in, in some ways, when I'm trying to write new material, or especially when we have some people that, that, that come to the show every week uh, and, and know our material, then I'm trying to come up with a new joke or, or deliver a, a new joke in a better way. It's like, when they're that critical of it, it makes it really like it makes the roller coaster of emotions in stand up really tough, I think. But um, I guess my, my point in that being like um, just uh, I think that that's what makes it tough for me sometimes in terms of uh, writing the new material is because I want it to all be get a good reaction from the people in, in Red Deer who are sometimes critical of it. But mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. So for me, when I have a, a night where everything feels like deflated, then I feel like, you know, am I really improving as a comic, you know? Uh, but even then, sometimes I'll look at my act and I'll, 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 I'll have a recording of it. And I've, I have some clips up on YouTube where I have... The thing I've started doing is, you know, you do the jokes that normally work really well, and then you splice in some new material. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, but for me, um, I, I think that, like, 
when I'm performing, um, what I've come to realize is that, uh, like, even even my, my way of delivering it has improved. But I would say that, like, I'm not as... Because I think, I think uh, when I first started stand-up, it was like, that for me was probably one of the easiest times of performing because I wasn't as worried about how the audience would react to a joke. Whereas mm -hmm. now I'm like very critical of like, uh, I want I want them to enjoy it. So what's the best way that I can I can write this in a relatable way in some some way that they'll find funny. Um, so I'm much more critical. I guess critical of myself in the sense that like, uh, you know, I, I want to write something that that more people can relate to, uh, and sometimes. Uh, when the, when, the, when the crowd, in, like in Red Deer in particular, it can be a bit harsh, it's like, it's really tough because they're uh, not as aware of like, the fact that I'm, I'm building an act and not everything is, is, you know, is polished and ready to go. Um, yeah. How, like, how, what, in, in your, like, how do you kind of deal with the, we, First of all, would you say that there is kind of a roller coaster of emotions in terms of stand-up? I, I mean, the the thing is, is Vancouver's like that as well. Like Vancouver's very, I, I like to refer to places like that as like, you know, like training with weights. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so that way you've, you've built, I, but it also, on the flip side, like not having you not being able to perform at a regular comedy club for a while uh, would also give you some really bad habits, you know, and it, it, it's just we we're the product of our environment, no matter where we are, what we do. Uh, so what do you mean in terms of bad habits? It, you know, maybe not letting the laugh simmer down, not like, like, like you said, like you didn't even know about like what a rolling laugh was, yeah. you know, where you kind of want to get it like a wave. You want, you want to hit that punchline, let it ride up to its peak. And then as it starts crashing down, that's when you want to raise them back up again. And then that cause like it, you could step on a tag by hitting it too early. You could, and like a lot of those bad habits could come from doing shows like that all the time of like not getting the performance down in a way where you're connecting with the audience mm -hmm. as best as you can. Um, or, or like people who just do open mics and and they find a way to make all the comedians laugh sometimes that doesn't translate to people who aren't comics so yeah. so they'll end up playing to the back of the room when they're at a club and and they won't do great with the audience because they aren't relating to the audience they're relating to the other comics yeah. and and that's what i mean by like pick up bad habits from from not having like a proper audience to work your craft on but also like those bar shows that are tough they they build character they thicken your skin 
you know, they they show you where at a comedy club something could be totally acceptable, but they'll show you where fat is where you didn't even realize, oh, that's fat in this bit. I can yeah. take that out and, and make it tighter and stronger. And then you bring it to the club and it hits even harder because now you've removed this part that doesn't need to be there. Uh, so like it's, you know, it's like anything else. There's pros and cons to it. Um, but like Vancouver's very, uh, it, the audiences more than anything are, are very uh, super liberal, very ultra left wing, sometimes, uh, sometimes radically left wing. So like if you have any idea that's even against that, uh, the crowd will shut down on you. So you really need to like tightrope walk certain aspects of, of topics and really have to figure out what makes that really funny as opposed to, uh, and, and that goes back to a question that you asked, uh, quite some time ago about cursing and, and like Mm -hmm. not being afraid to say what I want to say on stage is because I'm still focused on bringing King it funny uh, that I'm, I'm not afraid of being wrong on stage. I'll, I'll take an angle that's wrong. If it's still going to make an audience laugh. Right. So uh, you performed all across Canada, correct? Yeah. So, um, and I, so I would, you know, you've been in different political environments, and, and uh, of course, like from Vancouver to, uh, to Alberta here, the, the environment will be different. But is there like, do you have kind of an exact? I, I, I haven't traveled as much as you, so I don't have as big of a grasp on this. But for like, are there certain jokes that, for example, would work well that have worked well here that don't work well in Vancouver because people are, you know, like. Too offended, I guess. Would be my easy way to describe it, but do you have that in sense of like this joke works in Alberta and doesn't work in BC, or this joke works in the Maritimes but doesn't work in BC? Um, I I have jokes that'll work that might work a little bit better in certain circumstances than others, but if I had a joke that just up would only work at one place. I'm not going to keep that joke in the rotation. That makes sense. Because, uh, you know, I want my act to relate to people wherever I am. Uh, e- even if my stance on something is not what other people there believe in, or, you know, it, it's contrary to something, I still want it to be relatable to any audience that I'm in front of. Right. old. Uh, you know, left wing, right wing, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I'm still going, you know, at running the risk of sounding arrogant, I'm still going to hit no matter where I'm at. Uh, some places harder than others, sure, because what I say might align with them or what I say might be in such disalignment that 
but but it's funny enough that they'll hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, it goes straight back to, you know, it has to be funnier than it is offensive. If it if it's funny first in that way, no matter what I'm talking about, then it doesn't matter what I'm talking about. But it, it's got to be like that consistently, no matter where I am. Okay. Um, um, so, so like I I do a joke about uh about how we are how we treat our children, just as an example. And uh, I'm I'm getting a kind of I'm I'm not going to burn the joke on this, but I I have a joke about how we treat children compared to how we want to eat as a society. And that'll hit harder in, in certain environments. Uh, but like any sort of town that's blue collar or really has like a farming community, like they will straight up not get the first punchline. Uh, like it won't be until I actually establish the point that I'm making within the bit, that's when it'll finally hit hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still going to hit wherever. It's just like the setup might not hit like it'll hit elsewhere. Uh, like I, I use a line in my act where I say, I only eat factory farmed. Uh, in, in all honesty, I eat whatever. I whatever eat is on range. your plate. Exactly. I eat free range. I I eat factory farmed. I eat this. I am non-discriminatory in what I eat. Uh, You know what I mean? But but for the joke, like I I want to take a harder stance because I want I do want some people to go. That's not right. Yeah. But but I also want people to realize that I'm taking such a hard stance that it's funny. Uh, I would say for me, one of my favorite parts of stand-up in general is like uh, you can you can write anything you want. I mean, I, I'm some of the jokes that I've done. Uh, like I, uh, I don't I don't do them all the time anymore. But I, I had a joke, uh, for example, where the entire where the entire story was basically fictional. I mean, yeah. It was just like I wanna I wanna figure out a way to use this stupid silly punchline that I think would be really funny and I'm just going to fabricate a story around that And because for me I've realized like um, one of the things that I love stand up comedy is like a lot of the time people come to a stand up show to get away from their like 9 to 5 monotonous jobs or whatever Yeah, and, absolutely. and so when I create something fictional like I've kind of removed myself from having the whole, like, you know, if you want to call it a political viewpoint or a certain stance on things, because it's totally made up, and it really makes no difference in terms of whether or not that joke's going to get a laugh. I mean, so uh, in terms of, like, whether I, I... I guess that's one of the things I love about telling, or, or at least weaving... A, like some or or a lot of fictional elements into a joke because um, I'm not I'm not concerned if somebody has a a, a negative re- reaction to it because mm-hmm. I'll just say it's <laughs> it's made up you know 
Uh, yeah. So, you know, but that that's one of the things I realized too when I was because uh, uh, there's been some times where I think you know uh, I, I'm trying to get on stage like every day of the week almost. So at a certain point when I was performing, and I realized like. I was trying to write more material when I wasn't on stage and do those sorts of things. But I also realized, like, I don't want to be writing jokes about travel. Like, I can write jokes about traveling to a certain show or, or an experience I had at a, at a restaurant or whatever, but, like, or, or an experience I had in a hotel. But for, for like, John, who just got off his, like, nine-to-five job working at the, uh, at the uh, you know, at the whatever the, the factory or whatever you want to go with, like some yeah. sort of typical job, it's not going to relate, right? Um, and I think that's more of like some of the people that sometimes come to comedy. Uh, so like, I don't want to be like, oh, you know, I had such a hard flight going to this show or whatever it is. I want to find a way to relate to the audience. Um, that, that probably happens uh, or like probably... I would think at least uh, you get better at that as you move along in your career. But one of the, I guess one of the last couple of things I wanted to talk to you about here, uh, just interested to get your perspective, knowing that you have, you know, now 11 years of stand-up experience, um, because I haven't been able to uh, get out to Vancouver yet. I'd really like to. I spoke to a couple of people about uh, performing there and those sorts of things. Do you think now that you've been performing for 11 years and have more of an established act, is it easier to get um, stand-up in, in like a bigger urban center like Vancouver like that, or is it? Are you still, you know, are you still competing with everyone else at an open mic for for a five or ten minute spot? Both. Does that vary? Both. It, it's okay. it's like, I I mean I'm still, I'm known enough around the comedy scene, uh, throughout this country that no matter where I go, I could, I could go get stage time, uh, without issue, you know. Uh, I still have to do the legwork to let people know that I'm gonna be there, uh. And I will still go and do open mics in towns and not just like book shows because I, I want to, I want a few things. Number one, I want to see uh, what each little comedy is doing and what they're like. And I want to see if there's someone that I've never seen that I, I really enjoy. Uh, I really like that because I'm, I am a big fan of comedy. Uh, like, I, I still love watching comedy. Good comedy. Uh, I like watching great comedy. Even yeah. watching, like, comedy that's just good can be hard for me sometimes. Yeah. Where, where I'll, you know, I'll see a joke coming or, or like, I'll, I'll think maybe something's a little bit lazier than it should be and I'll just roll my eyes and not, you know. Uh, because we look at it from a different perspective. One absolutely. Two, I think as a comedian... Um, when, what I've realized is like, uh, like I have had, like I had a hard time 
at first, like, because a lot of the shows that we go to would be shows that I'm going to be a part of, right? So there's a different mindset there where you're preparing for whenever you're going to be on stage or you're always, you're like listening with a, with an ear out for everybody's act and what they're saying and what they're doing. Whereas like, if you're an audience member, um, and just that whole sense of like, okay, sometimes it's nice to just go to a, a find to go to a comedy show and like not be on the show and just, uh, try to enjoy the show for what it is. But, uh, like, because I find we, especially me, I like, you listen to a certain performer or an act and, and uh, you try to pick up on the way they deliver things in, in, in contrast to like how you're doing things and try to like learn from uh, a person's act. Is, is, is that something you notice or are you also having that, can you take that step back and like just be there for a comedy show or, or is your mind always working and thinking about how this person's act compares to yours. No, I, I take a step back. I just enjoy it for what it is. Um, there are times where I will look at what someone does. Like, oh, like I've, I've never thought about like that type of thing in my toolbox. Uh, I wonder if there's something that I could take from that and, and put into, you know, my repertoire of like, you know, watching someone doing act out in a certain way, or like, like I've, I've just started, uh, like at the end of last year, putting a pratfall in my act. Uh, and sometimes I actually get hurt doing it, Yeah, which is a pain in the ass. Uh, like I, I was just doing a show at a Legion, uh, down in like Sawasin where you take the ferry uh, to like Vancouver Island. And, and I, I did the pratfall in the stage uh, was a carpeted stage and I rug burned my elbow doing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that happens like more often than you'd think with me. Cause I'm also kind of clumsy anyways. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's like, I, I think cause I saw someone being physical. I, I thought like, Oh, like I, sh I should find a way to be physical with certain elements just to sell them more. Um, uh, yeah, I can definitely relate to that because there's times where I actually physically struggle getting up on the stage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because of. I mean, the that's not a problem I have, but you know, I um, get it. I, I get it. Yeah. Um, it, but yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Um, and I guess one of the things I wanted to ask uh, you about, we talked a little bit about it before, uh, you know, mentioning Jerry Seinfeld and, and some of the people you look up to, but are there certain people in terms of, I, I guess, like comedians you like, but also uh, maybe mentors that were there for you in the early stages of your career or are still there now that you will bounce ideas off of when you're writing or that are mentors in terms of your comedy now? Um, so, I, I mean, the closest uh, people I've had to mentors, I've, I've never really had a mentor. Uh, the right. closest people I've had to it uh, is a, a comic named Brian Major, 
who's, you know, probably my closest friend, just comedy. Uh, you know, he's the first guy I met. He's the guy who convinced me to make the move from Prince George to Vancouver. Uh, like, he's he's the guy who would sometimes give me advice that I wouldn't take. And then someone else would... And, and I think a lot of times when something like that happens is it's just not framed in a way that makes sense. Uh, but, like, you know, he's the first guy who told me, like, dude, write about yourself. Like, don't, don't write about something you saw on TV unless you're using it to write about yourself. Uh, like, what I write about now is a lot of stuff that's not necessarily about me, but it's something that I'm very opinionated about or very passionate about. Uh, so it's still, I'm still writing about myself. Uh, yeah. And then, and Enix has always been a guy who's very, uh, you know, kind of taken me under his wing. And is who is that? I cut out a book there. Uh, Daryl Lennox. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I've, I've heard of the guy. Yeah, he's a fantastic comedian, lived in Canada for the longest time. Uh, uh, his friend originally, like, very smooth on stage. And, but, but he, you know, I've never really had, like, the mentor type to fully take me under the wing because i'm i also i i'm bullish on trying to figure things out by myself which has kind of been to my own detriment um uh, but carving your own path right yeah and having somebody else and uh, well, i wouldn't say somebody else trying to uh do it for you but uh, i don't know i i i it, i would say maybe I'm not at that stage yet, but maybe it's sort of a double-edged sword because I, I mean, I do think sometimes, I mean, like, it, and I'm not quite at that point yet, but uh, I do think, you know, uh, going on tour with certain comics or, or you know, even the, the aspect of, of touring and doing more shows with somebody is definitely uh, something that you have to experience and that uh, that I, I hope to experience too, and that. Um, like, uh, I would, it's probably just that whole, like, the, I would say probably performing with somebody more often and just learning their, their tendencies is, is different than just seeing them once at a show. You know, I, I think that's what I'm experiencing a lot now is I just see comics come through Red Deer and some I've seen more often, and I'll compare them to what I saw the previous time. But I don't think I've really had the opportunity yet to, I guess, in a sense, like tour, where I get a sense of like what that person's like on the road, or or what their act is like um, on a continual basis. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I I mean, I've never really had anyone take me on the road, right. um, and. And I, but I also think like my own experience, uh, I have a lot of perfectionistic uh, tendencies. So it, it makes it really hard for me to reach out to people for help. And, and that's kind of something that you need to do no matter 
we are in. Like that's kind of what a mentor is, is finding someone who, who's willing to help you and you have to be willing to ask for that help. Right. You know what I mean? But it, but it still like has to be a symbiotic relationship. So, I mean, just spending enough time around people and seeing how they are and seeing how their act is and evolves in that, like you're, you're just going to get better because of that. Um, and it's like, like I said, the, the two closest people I've had to mentors have led to a lot of good for me. Um, you know, my, my buddy Brian's probably led to the most good for me. Um, and also because we would hang, like when I first moved to Vancouver for like the first two, three years, when we were both living down here, we would hang out almost every night and, you know, just fire jokes back and forth or, you know, talk about things that were going on or, or whatever. And like, that, that was really good. Like, I don't do that as much anymore. And, and I kind of miss it. Yeah. I, yeah, I think having some people that you could do that with is good for your act. Uh, I think it's a double-edged sword because it could make you like your them. Your friends can be like, they'll like certain jokes and they won't like others, right? So. Sure. But, but I, I also think it can make you like them a little too much. Yeah. Um, like we've all seen those comics who, who are a, a big fan of someone and then they pick up their cadence or, you know, their style or whatever, uh, like I, I did that, uh, you know, completely unintentionally by just listening to a comics podcast every week and watching his specials and that, and I ended up like getting that sort of cadence and I got teased about that. And I was like, I'm just going to stop listening to his podcast. I'll watch his specials when it comes out. Cause I really enjoy them, but that's it. Like, I, I can't just listen to them all the time because then I'll start talking that way and start delivering that way. Uh, so it's, you know, it's finding a balance of like being yourself, but like, yeah, having someone that you can throw off, you know, bounce ideas off of and like hang out with and that, that's also like, that that's just good for your act, really. That makes sense. And uh, yeah, I guess one of the, Last thing I want to talk to you a little bit about too as well is like, um, um, you know, you mentioned you, you do some uh, podcasting and you have done some in the past. Uh, you know, if you, if you check out uh, your, your website, chrisgaston.com, you know, dot you, net. oh, dot net, sorry, my dot net, yeah, not dot com. Uh, dot com just goes to a, a parked website that they tried to sell me for money that I'm like, I don't have that kind of money. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Like Ten thousand dollars for this website. Yeah, one of those things. Um, yep. I just wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, there's three different podcasts on there that you did at one time, and, and um, what for you was your biggest reason for for doing a podcast? Uh, like, I, yeah, I guess what was your inspiration behind that? It was twofold. It was. Number one is I was having a lot of fun doing 
a few of them. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the one that lasted the longest was the podcast that I did with my cousin. Uh, like I had a lot of fun doing that podcast. And, and number two was I just wanted to put out some more content for people. Uh, just cause yeah. I can't always do like a lot of video stuff. I can't, uh, just cause I don't have the equipment. Um, but like I have podcasting equipment. I have a couple mics. I've got a decent recorder. Uh, you know, it's not that hard to put it into a computer and just go from there. So like I, I enjoyed doing it, but then it, it just became a point where I was doing all three concurrently and then just dropped off of a couple of them, kept with the one, and then um, and then just both of us kind of got busy and bounced off of it. I am looking uh, into going back into doing a podcast, uh, but like I said, I'm, I'm still kind of preoccupied with a few other things right now that I'm focused on. Yeah. So, would, it, would you say for you as a comic, in terms of like having some of that content and having your podcast? It's probably not something you might use as a credit now, but is it something where now when you when you have people look up your name and sort of see the things you've done, it helps sort of in a way like bolster your your resume or it helps people see like, okay, this guy has put some work in and, and, and uh, you know, he, he you know tries to get out there. I think a little bit, but not as much as you think. Right. Okay. I, I mean, like everyone and their dog has a podcast now, you yeah. know? So it's, it's not really, uh, as much like, Oh, this person does a podcast. It's like, yeah, yeah of course that person does a podcast. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's not to say that they don't see how hard you're working. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it does help a little bit. I think if anything, it kind of helped me discover me more. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it helped me because like I was doing an interview podcast. At one point I was just doing a podcast where I talked by myself for an hour, which is way harder than you think. It is. Yeah. Cause like what kind of topics do you come up with and who do you talk to when you're talking to yourself? Yeah. And, and I had people that like listen to it regularly and would like mention like, dude, that, that line that you used was hilarious. And I was <laughs> like, I don't even remember what I said. I was yammering for an hour. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of my own voice. So, <laughs> so like eventually I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Okay. Uh, but like I said, I, I would like to get back into doing a podcast or two and doing stuff that I'm interested in more than anything, though. Uh, yeah, and that sort of leads me to my last sort of thing. I mean, um, you mentioned some of it. We've talked a little bit about about it throughout our, our chat here, but what what are your next goals in terms of what you're trying, what you want to achieve uh, in your career uh, and, and what, you're, what you're looking forward to doing? Like you mentioned, you want to record a, an album and and uh, you, you maybe will try to get back into podcasting. Uh, are there other things yeah. you're looking at doing in terms of your career? Or, uh, or is that kind of what you're focused on right now? I, I think right now my focus on is on figuring out... Uh, I, I would like to do a special and 
parlay that as an album and and release it and try and get it out as much as possible um so, so sort right of an now, independent release in a local theater or are you talking about uh trying to get onto like a streaming service or those sorts of things uh not really oh, maybe both like okay. like i i'm still at this point i'm still just trying to figure out uh exactly what i want to do with it right and and it's like i i just want to get it in like i want to get myself in front of eyeballs really yeah uh because i i think i think certain bits that i do can definitely split a room but i think in a really good way uh so I'm I'm still not sure how I'm gonna do it. That's my that's probably my main focus right now. Uh, and then I think from there, like I said, I I'd really just kind of want to do projects that I'm interested in. Uh, and and I think one of my one of my other focuses is getting into the states. I think that's probably my my big goal is to get into the state so I could actually work down there and try to build more of a career with it. Because as much as I love living in Canada, we're all just kind of fighting over peanuts. Right. Uh, and it's, it's a real shame because there's so much talent up here. And, and I think I, and this probably not help my cause with the Canadian media, but I, I think they don't know what, to do and i think that they're misusing a lot of the comics and and it's sad for me to watch uh it, it's sad to look at ctv and realize that it's just basically the big bang theory channel yeah uh, have, have you performed in the u.s yet or is that just something you're working on getting towards it, it's something that i'm working on getting towards okay uh well, ju just because like i want to do it i want to do it legally I, you know, oh, I want absolutely. to do all of that. Uh, like any time that I'm crossing the border, I'm going to watch a show. I'm not going to perform uh, just be because last thing I want to do is, you know, try to sneak across that way, get popped, and then I'm not allowed in that country yeah. for 10 years. And, you know, that's, that's 10 years of a career that you could be building yourself. So yeah, I want to do it legally. I want to do it the proper way. Uh, and part of it is establishing that I am a unique talent and, and it's tough to do in a country where there's not a lot of showcases for comics that way. Uh, and, and a lot of gatekeepers towards that where, like I said, I, I think there's so much talent in this country. Yeah, I, I honestly think that like, I, I plead with people is like anyone listening to this podcast, go out and check out a comedy show, check out an open mic, check out this. You, you would be surprised the caliber of talent in Canada and not even people that are like leaving or getting ready to leave. Like the, the people that are three, four years, like, dude, like yourself, Nick, like you are a fucking talented, funny, uh, you're a talent, dude. And yeah, I appreciate it. I, yeah, I, I like that. Like I said, I, I really, I watched you. I liked what you did. And, 
And it's like, but there's so much talent in this country that like it, it blows, it blows my mind that terrestrial radio isn't showcasing like that. There's no, there is nothing like Opie and Anthony or, or like Howard Stern or, you know, shows that played a little bit of music, but their focus was on the show and they'd have comics come in and just talk about what's going on and be funny. And then, okay, here's a block of music, but that talking segment isn't three minutes and we're out. No, it's like a 15 minute segment that's yeah. like interesting and like that radio's just not like that anymore. And it's such a misuse of so much talent. That well, and one of those things, like how I, I definitely agree with you in terms of how that, where that, where that's at right now. And I mean, you look at a guy like George Strombolopoulos, like he's probably the, one of the biggest names in terms, of, in terms of Canada and his reach in terms of being on radio and, and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of his stuff now is, uh, is done privately and through his own, you know, uh, if I want to call it a brand, but in that way, he's not like censored by certain media. Yeah. What he says. Right? So I think that's probably um, the, big, the big difference. And I also think there's the, the differences between like the US and, and Canada. I mean, even though I'm not as, I haven't been in it as long as like, you look at just, the fact that, like, we have the, uh, you know, we have, we have uh, the, I can't remember the, I guess the acronym is CASAS, CASAS, and I can't remember what exactly the acronym is. For like right the stand-up comedy. Yeah, right. yeah. I think I, I definitely agree with having that, and I, I see the point of having it. Um, but, like, and I think it's a very good thing. I just think the fact that we as Canadian comics have to go to Parliament Hill to be uh, recognized as a as an art or an act, and, and build that for ourselves is like in 2019 we still have to do that, and and try to get some of those things that even though I'm not uh, as experienced in it, I think probably in the U.S. those things are way I I, I, I would think, think they're easier to come by. You know what? They're still struggling with that in the U.S. too. But in the U.S., it's just there's so much more people that it allows more opportunities. And, you know, that's where New York and Hollywood is. So and, and like even some of the larger markets that aren't those like Chicago and Phoenix and like, you know, Atlanta, like there's some great comedy scenes out there that aren't huge. like like New York or LA, yeah, but like heavy. there's, you know, just from there, like they could go and do a string of road gigs that are quality road gigs. Whereas like, you know, in Vancouver, if I'm doing anywhere that's not Vancouver, that's not like, uh, I guess there's a club, there's a Yuck Yucks club in Abbotsford. But it, if you take, if you take that out, like any road gigs from Vancouver, are a five-hour drive at least. Absolutely. I realized that as soon as I went to on vacation to BC and I realized, like, I did shows in uh, in Kelowna and then I realized, yeah. like, how far, you know, you have Kelowna, you have Vancouver, you have 
Vancouver Island, and I looked into uh, Abbotsford a little bit, but I think the Yuck Yucks in Abbotsford, at least when I was there, I think a year or two ago now maybe, it, the uh, Abbotsford Yuck Yucks was shut down, and I was just like surprised by how much of a distance there was to be traveling to get to a stage. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Um, well, uh, yeah, there, there is a lot of traveling with that, and I want to say uh, wish you the best of luck in terms of your goals and getting into the U.S., and uh, good luck with recording your uh, second album. And uh, just, just from my perspective, I, I'm very happy to have met you and cross paths with you, and I hope that... Uh, hey, right, right back at you, man. And, like, there's you're, you're a guy that I'm definitely going to be rooting for, and, like, you know, I'm, I'm certain we're going to run into each other and work with each other uh you know in the future like it's it's a lot like the comedy scene is larger than ever but it's still a small scene like that'll that'll happen uh but like yeah i'm 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 excited to see what you're doing in the future too man yeah and thanks so much man and and before we go like uh you got uh chrisgaskin.net where people can see your uh your tour dates and what you're working on uh, yeah, they can see my tour dates. They can buy my uh, album on there. I'm actually uh, probably within the next month or so, I'm going to refresh that website a little bit, uh, and you'll be able to buy my T-shirts on there as well. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll have more merch on my website uh, within, the, uh, within the next few months. But uh, yeah, it, people could just go to there. I've got YouTube videos. Anything that they need to contact me to book me, it's all there. Okay, awesome, man. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I know we went a little bit long, but uh, I really appreciate your time, and thanks for no, joining man. me. It's, it, it was fun. Thanks for having me.